Hello everybody and welcome to Brumbagoon. You will not get there on a road bike. Be prepared people because it's gonna be a long one. I think you saw it already in the job this no it's not the job description, sorry. Spending a lot of time in the job boards in this period looking for a new one, but that's another stuff. Looking for new gigs for my career, but you have seen it already in the podcast description. It's gonna be a pretty long one. So I will try to keep this. Sorry, I'm gonna stop laughing about this kind of lapses that I got. Um, so I'm gonna try to be super short on this episode uh, introduction because I don't want to keep you here forever. Or maybe I can. Uh, even if in this period everybody is already going outside for riding and it's not any more time for Turbo Trainer, so you don't need to be entertained so much. You just need to have another inspiration to follow. Inspiration like the one that you can get on a bike and more specifically on a gravel bike like the open up that I've been riding in this period. I've been really discovering a lot the surroundings here of Zurich and a lot of new hoods and stuff and I got to have in this period an amazing use of my time outdoor having a loop then at a certain point on my way home stopping making a good coffee drink it outside and then go back home there's no coffee no better coffee than the one that you prepare outdoor or the one that Andrea prepare outdoor my cycling buddy we are going out with the gravel bike a lot together in the weekend during the week i'm just smashing down some kilometers to put some kilometers in my legs so thanks a lot to open then to provide me with this amazing rig and that is really coming with me for this adventure and it's gonna really follow all the adventure that i'm gonna have this summer and it's gonna be amazing uh, what else I want to tell you? Yes, this weekend, uh, no weekend, this week, probably by the end of the week, I'm gonna also shipping another one of my newsletter. I've been working on it. I will start finalizing working on it today and tomorrow. So if you want to receive it, just go down still in the podcast episode description and uh, get the link and subscribe to it. And probably is the possibility possibility that you will receive the confirmation of the subscription into your spam folder so subscribe and then if you don't see a confirmation of it go in your spam folder it's gonna be pretty helpful if you can read it and you can give me some feedback and usual just by answering to the email that i'm gonna send probably around thursday slash friday depends on how much i'm writing in this period of a lot of free time what else I want to tell you, I think nothing else, just that this week episode is featured with my fellow podcaster, Johanna. We talked a lot about fixed gear scene, exploring scene, ultra endurance races and podcasts. So get yourself a brew, probably a cold brew because the weather is getting hotter. Now it's raining right now and enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. I'm gonna be short because I don't want to talk too much today because I have from on the other side of the microphone a fellow podcaster, Johanna. Hi, Johanna, how are you doing? Hi, Stefano. I'm fine. How are you? I am really, really, really good. Thank you. The sun is shining and the conversation is gonna be great today. So I'm super happy. Yeah, me too. 
It's an honor yeah. to be on your podcast. Thank you. No, it's it's a great pleasure for me. So just something like a couple of words of background to everybody out there. Uh, I have been talking with Johanna now, I don't know, really, I think for a couple of years. She lives in Hamburg, but I was living in Berlin. So probably a lot of people in common we know and stuff. And then I've been following Johanna since the time that she was riding racing fixed gears and then competing in the transcontinental race and then producing an amazing podcast and then at a certain point i said okay why not to talk about these all amazing things that johanna does on the broom wagon so we are here today i just finished my coffee what about you did you get a coffee um actually i'm i've just been for a ride and i always mm -hmm. drink too little so i have my my electrolyte drink next to me and try to uh, drink up <laughs> Perfect. Where was actually? How, how was it? The ride and where did you go? Oh, it's great. Um, I just uh, leave Hamburg for like one and a half or two hours because I, I'm actually quite busy right now because I have two kids at home. So I do homeschooling mm -hmm. and working and training and everything at the same time. And I'm trying to find like little routes that are fine for a lunch break. And I went to a um, really nice place nearby and I think it was like 40k little round and yeah it was really great gravel or road no I, I went on my road bike because okay. um, it's uh, at the moment here in Hamburg it's quite difficult to to ride gravel um, during the week I think it's fine but on the weekend it's really busy in all the parks and if you want to leave Hamburg, you have to go through parks and yeah, a lot of people are outside right now and walking and jogging and riding bikes. So I try to find right, uh, roads where less people ride. Perfect. Yeah, seems like anyways, an amazing plan. You know that I've not been riding at all outside in this period because I don't know, many reasons, because I follow the Italian news so close and all my people there in Italy are really locked in. And uh, this is one reason. On the other side, I don't want actually to, I don't know, uh, I don't want to end up in an hospital that where people are already too busy already with, uh, let's say, taking care of people that don't have a choice. And so on the other side, I prefer to stay inside for this reason. But yeah. I truly believe that if it's not going to be this weekend, next weekend, I'm going to be out and done it. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of swifting for me this period. I can totally feel you. And I have to say, um, I've been in quarantine for two weeks after my kids came home from a skiing holiday. So we really stayed inside and I had exactly the same thoughts as you had. I didn't want to get injured and... Yeah, I've, I've found it really, um, the thought of go riding outside was really troubling me. Um, but then I talked to some doctors and they said, actually, the emergency um, um, area in the hospitals is empty here in Germany, at okay. least. Yeah, they, okay. the, they don't, it's not a problem because you want to be responsible and not, you know, make a crash and then having to go into the hospital this so this was my thought too. And also I have to admit, I really, it's, it's like, um, in Germany, we say balsam on the soul. So it's really, it's really helping a lot to go outside once every two days. So, but I'm also riding like, uh, tiny little rounds in areas that I know and really be, I'm really careful. That's perfect. That's perfect. And I can completely understand that actually on the other side, swifting is not 
as fun as being outside. But you know what? I've been doing a lot of Swift and doing a lot of indoor cycling, but I'm practically outside because I am riding on my balcony. So it's fine. Yeah, then you're lucky. Yeah, <laughs> I have. <laughs> I mean, fine. I have a turbo trainer here, and I uh-huh. I, I think it's a great great. Uh, way to to train inside it's probably the best way to do proper training right now because what i do is just being outside i just ride and get some fresh air and some sun but i'm not like i'm occasionally doing intervals but not a lot so yeah swifting will make you very fit Yeah, for nothing. Also because I don't like Why? to race. <laughs> I don't like to race at all, you know? Well, every time that I start to race, or I find myself in a Gran Fondo or whatever race or stuff, my brain completely something like shut down. And I think, why am I doing that? I don't like numbers. I don't like times. I don't like to compete. I just like to ride. So I actually decided, according to my perfect soul, I will participate to events, but only to for riding with friends never competition is not my thing yeah yeah i think i'm Which lucky being like this exactly i think i'm lucky yeah. because i don't know i feel good so it's the best thing yeah but you feel better if you're fit that's yeah, a good thing that's true. That's true. if you're that's true. fit you enjoy the ride much more <laughs> it's true it's true, it's true. yeah Cool, Joanna. Then uh, what else? What I want to tell you? Nothing. Can you just give us maybe? So I talked about you already, like a former fixed gear racer. Uh, you took part to the TCR in a pair with Marion. You are hosting an amazing podcast. Maybe it's better from this side for you to give an introduction about yourself because for sure I'm missing something and for sure you can explain yourself better than myself doing it for you. Yeah, um, I could try. Um, yeah. So you, most people from the cycling scene like introduce me as the former fixed gear rider, which is kind of true. But and like the, the real truth is that I used to be a rugby player. I've played rugby for 20 years of my life and I'm still a resting rugby player because once a rugby player, always a rugby player. And um, but then, of course, I stopped and uh, got a got my first uh, bike and started cycling. That was maybe well. I started cycling competitively um, because I've always been cycling in my life. We never owned a car, so I've always been cycling everywhere. And yeah, but I got a road bike also because I didn't want to buy a car to just to you know, go out of Hamburg and yeah, use a bike instead of a car. And um, then I got to know all these uh, people from the fixed gear scene and really liked them and the scene and the races sounded nice. And yeah, I, I signed up for my first fixed gear race and didn't even have a track bike. So I, yeah, I signed up and then I bought a track bike and tried to learn to ride fixed <laughs> and uh, did my first race in Berlin during the, the fixed days in Berlin. I don't oh, yeah. know if you were there. That was in 2000 and I think 14, 15. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was there in the 2015 for sure. Yes. Yeah, I think that was still the time when you were in mm. Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. 
and uh, the the Red Race crew they made their first uh, first uh, um, race on the Kartbahn, and mm -hmm. that was my first fixed gear race. It was the um, last woman, last man standing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. they had a sprint okay. race, and yeah, that's when I met Juliet Elliott, and mm -hmm. the night before the the last man standing or last woman standing in in Berlin. So okay. yeah, I, it wasn't my most elegant race because, as you can imagine, if you buy a bike like a couple of weeks before a race, especially in fixed gear, you still need to learn how to. <laughs> to ride corners <laughs> on, yeah. a, on a track like on a go-kart track um, but it was a good way to to start and learn all the technique um, for a race yeah so I, I did a couple of years fixed gear racing and uh, also raced at the retro crit and uh, had joined several teams and my last team was east london fixed so shout outs to them and yeah and then um after doing that or basically while i'm still while i was still racing fixed gear i started to get interested in in the transcontinental race and yeah it wasn't like really like a change i just i found the race so so tempting that i really wanted to do it and i asked marion if she was free and if she'd like to race it with me and she said yes and then we entered the transcontinental race and we were the first female pair to finish it in time for the party so yeah that was cool <laughs> um so yeah great actually you told me that you are based in hamburg so maybe we can start from here um, how did you get into bike? Because I remember the couple of times that I came to Hamburg, by the way, I want to come back there. I love that city. I came there once for, uh, it was, let me think. Yeah, once because I was making a job interview there. I'm talking about 2012 or 2013. I don't remember, a lot of time ago. And I got in love from the city. And at the moment, in that moment, I got to know that Hamburg has a huge cycling community. It's one of the cities with the, big, with the biggest uh, um, uh, critical mass in Europe, as I remember. So tell me a bit more about that. Something like how you got in contact with bikes and how is Hamburg bicycle-wise? Okay, so so this is interesting because we do have one of the biggest, I think, the biggest critical mass. And um, yeah. I I entered some of the earliest where we, we were like, I don't know, 30, 40 people. And in the end, sometimes there were like 5,000 people during the critical mass wow. and sometimes mm. even more, I think. <laughs> and yeah, so this is interesting that you asked because um, I first bought a road bike, as I said, but I didn't really find much um, contact to the road bike community. They were like, maybe just different to me. So they were, yes, I think we, we didn't have so much in common. <laughs> and, um, but with this road bike, I, um, I was like, there was a little scene in Hamburg here where we did night rides and we just met every couple of weeks sometimes once a week sometimes once a month depending on on the time of the year and we would meet at around 10 
and then just right through the empty streets of Hamburg. And that was a lot of fun. We just, you know, just ride around Hamburg fast. And um, it was so much fun that and so so nice people. No one like there was no no route before you just decided on the go where to go. Some people had kind of an idea where we could go some others just uh, yeah followed them like me <laughs> and there were a lot of people from the fixed gear scene and that's how I met them actually and I found that this was a very open scene and with a lot of really fun people and a little bit more um, well in, in Germany we say well it's I think it's an English saying to um, they didn't have a stick in the ass. So, you know, uh, yeah. the, the the road bike community used to be, or at least the part that I uh, saw was was a little bit to themselves. I think it's gotten much better during the last years. But um, yeah, if you didn't have the right bike or the right something or the right, don't know, helmet, then they instantly, you, you, you were not one of them. So um I found the fixed gear scene much more open for for this, and yeah. So so and these night rides they were also kind of organized by the same people as the critical mass. It was just a d different format of it. Yeah. yeah. No, this is amazing actually because I remember that also one of my first approaches to approach to the road community or bicycle community better. Uh, in Berlin was exactly in a similar way. So we were gonna. I got in touch with people that were organizing bike rides and night rides uh, into the city, and it was really amazing. And the cool thing, as you were mentioning, it was the easygoingness, if we can say that, the chilled way that they were approaching bicycle with. So you could go there with flip flops, with fixed gear, with this one, with this. One. Obviously, everybody was likes cool things and being fast and be something like carry his own style or on these kind of rides. But no matter what, you were there, you were part of the community, you were part of the group. Everybody knew where to go. Nobody cared, cared, cared if you were um, riding too fast or too slow, whatever it was. Going all together, most, well, most of the time pretty fast, going all together to amazing places, discovering the city in a different way and then stopping having a great beer. And also there, most of my cycling background in Berlin started from there and this was really great it's exactly how you described it it's really like everyone was welcome and yeah and i i still know all these people and meet them again some are more competitive now some are less competitive <laughs> so so everyone has found their own way but um it's still kind of a community it's still it's still kind of there and we are happy when we meet each other and yeah it's really like you said it's very open colorful and really nice yeah the thing that i remember about now actually they're starting arriving something like flashes of this kind of rides and talking about as well i started doing it in 2015 uh when my road bike proper road bike arrived and i remember that the thing that was the biggest thing the something like the most noisy thing that was happening there. Everybody of us was bringing at least one loudspeaker. So connected them all together with the same playlist, something like 
connecting the loudspeaker between each other and being super noisy on the road and enjoying the night, enjoying really the music, the party, the company, the chats. It was really great. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see? Some people still have them. Some people exactly. still have the music with them. <laughs> It's just something like a small critical mass. Let's put it like, put yeah, it like this. A yeah. bit faster and a bit more fun, probably. But still with less people and uh, enjoying, the, enjoying the city when, uh, where it's, when it's not so busy. And when the Späti are open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have an MCK in Berlin as well? A marathon crash? race uh, not that i know okay yeah what is that it's kind of from the same background uh you ride the the marathon uh course before the marathon starts in the morning that's ah, okay. you know that's doing it with a bike or yeah without? with a bike okay yeah on partly closed roads it's of course unofficial and that's where the format uh fixed 42 comes from because it's a marathon distance they used to do it in it's from from i think from la yeah i think that's where the first marathon crash races took place yeah i i never knew if there were were these races in berlin we have it in hamburg still <laughs> Okay, okay. I don't know, I don't know. But as you were saying, this is how the format of the Fixed 42 World Championship come, comes. So probably they are doing something like this. By the way, did you take part? Because we were talking about fixed gear racing and uh, and everything like this. Have you ever take, took part? Uh, have you ever take part to um, the Fixed 42? Or for sure you said that you were doing a lot of uh, Reducrates and other races. No, basically I did all the fixed gear races um, okay. that Red Race offered. I was like, um, when they came to Hamburg, I was one of the first uh, people that met them. And um, yeah, I signed up for all the races and it was like, it was a great way to also to prepare yourself for a retrocrit and i don't think i've missed many of the fixed 42 races last year i didn't race last year but all the years before i raced um the fixed 42 and yeah and it yeah they were the like i'd say i'm still like the race that in, that i really found the most challenging was Red Hook Crit because you had the proper competition, it's a proper race, and um, it's really due to the high niveau of the opposition, it was a really great race, but all the other red races were perfect to prepare for Red Hook Crit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you ever take part to any kind of, I don't know, as I was saying, helicopter or something a bit yeah. more underground? Yeah, I did in the beginning. I, all the races I did in the beginning were underground and for fun. And then with the Ellicats, I have to admit, I um, felt that it became too dangerous for me because I, I became too fast and I'm very competitive in the race and I stopped doing them because I found them too dangerous for myself because you know how I mean you can I, I love elicots but I can't do them for fun it's, it's really difficult to just ride them for fun if I do them I I'm competitive and then, then I ride very fast and 
yeah, that's a bit dangerous. That's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. On the other side of the time that I was taking part to Alicats in Berlin, I was the one, as I was telling you before, I was the one not competitive at all. So I was there really to enjoy the company. And I was there with a couple of friends and just the only goal was to finish it, not to be the last, obviously, even if sometimes it happens, but just really to enjoy the kind of the challenge. Also, sometimes you had to do also some exercises or tricks or whatever. And this was really the fun part for me of the Alicats was the best one. Not not only the horsepower part, but they can completely understand, as I was saying. I'm the special one not being competitive. Yeah. Special in the mean way, obviously. I admire that. <laughs> I admire it. <laughs> I want to be like this and I can't. It's it's really once I'm in a race, I'm competitive. It's crazy. I'm not like I don't really need to prove anything to myself, but if it's a race, then it's competition and it's really hard not to be competitive i think especially no, right. when you are like belonging to the faster faster ones and uh, you know you can yeah kind of win it <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah, maybe not now it's not a problem anymore because i'm not as fit and as i used to be as fast as i used to be i'm more the the long <laughs> distance <laughs> rider so maybe I should try again now and uh, everything will be fine. <laughs> Are you still riding or racing or the both of them, fixed gear? Or now it's you are all into ultra endurance and uh, let's say leisure and gravel rides? Yeah, I'm, rides. I'm, so so I don't know how, how much your listeners know, but the Retro Crit series is not happening anymore. Um, and it wasn't happening last year. And the Retro Crits were really the races that made me train. So, so no other fixed gear race um, is interesting enough for me to, to properly train. And fixed gear training is quite... Um, hard because all you do is intervals fast uh, efforts so it's not it's not really relaxing to train for fixed gear and yeah you really have to have a good reason to do it so so the reason was not there for me anymore so and i don't like doing things 50 percent. i want to if i if i enter a race i want to be 100 percent fit or at least 90 percent Maybe sometimes 80% is fine too, but not not less than that. And I, that's why I said it's fun to be fit because uh, it's you have more fun if, if you race when you're fit. And yeah, and I enjoy uh, ultra cycling more. So what I do now is that I ride long distances. Of course, I, um, I do my intervals and do a bit of training, but without... Right now, I don't have a training plan, and since there's nothing happening this year, I just ride for fun, and this is enough for me right now because of... I think it's also like the times are really stressful anyway, so I don't want a training plan to stress me right now. But that can change, of course. I mean, so also looking at next year. So there might be some racing next year, who knows? I hope uh, so. Let's hope so. Let's, exactly. Yeah, let's I'm. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm really hoping so, and that would be something to look forward to. But yeah, for myself, I enjoy the training for long um, races or rides or 
challenges um, or adventures more than for fixed gear racing. So that's that's why I kind of changed. Yeah. Cool. Uh, just the last thing about the fixed gear races and stuff. Um, what? Um, which are, are your best memories or about what are your best memories on that? I mean, what did you like the most of being into the fixed gear scene? It was the race itself, the atmosphere, the people, the community. Yeah, basically all of it. Um, something that's really still um, really sticks to me is that women were like 100% worth the same as men. So there was like we always got the same prices, the same price money, the same visibility. And um, that was really, really something. And I'm I'm sad it's not uh, everywhere like this, but um, I think that's also the reason why I chose this racing for me, because I don't want to be like behind the men. I mean, um, doing the same amount of training, uh, do the same, have the same risks and uh, race the same. So, so I want to be treated the same. And in fixed gear racing in Red Hook Crit, this was the case. So that's a really, really good memory. And yeah, it's the fixed gear scene is a bit like a big family and um, you really, yeah, you get to know each other, you see each other at the races and you yeah, to go on rides together before or after. Um, Barcelona was always great because it's just such a beautiful town and and there was a beach and you would meet up on the beach uh, around, like a lot of people were taking a holiday around the race too. And yeah, that was really, really great. And yeah, I had some really good results in New York. And I would say New York is also my favorite place to race even though it's the furthest away it was so much fun to race uh, through through the red hook because the red hook crit comes from the area red hook in new york and of course there were so many people cheering and it was such a great atmosphere it's like can't compare it to anything else so yeah that that really stuck to me yeah yeah, great. So yeah, uh, let's move as well in this transition. I want to start from something um, that all of us probably have in common. It seems like all of us started a bit more with a fixed gear uh, inch of it on our bicycle life and then moved in another direction. And I want to link it with a couple of persons that you already mentioned here. It looks like also um, riders and racers in the Red Duke like Sami, Sami Sauri and Juliette Lewis, you as well, started from this side to go into something different. It is a bit more into the ultra endurance or the endurance or the discovery and the exploring. What do you think actually these two different, so different, because on the other side, fixed gear is a punchy, fast, super technical uh, race. And on the other side, ultra endurance or discovery rides or a gravel side or whatever is also technical in terms of terrain, but it's everything about endurance and self-sufficiency and stuff like this. What do you think these two different things have in common so much that a lot of people move from one kind of cycling to the other? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, 
I think you mean Juliet Elliott. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what did I say? Juliet Lewis. <laughs> uh, Juliet Lewis is a singer. Damn it. Does, Sorry. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just uh, because, yeah. uh, just to get it right. And Zami Zauri. Yeah, they they have they've both been involved around the same time as I have. I think I started racing a year earlier than them in the retro crit. And yeah, what what makes us go from from fixed gear to ultra endurance i think um i can talk for myself and i know a bit about uh, zami and i can guess that um it was a bit uh, like this for julia too i think we got we we never when we were racing fixed gear this is all we knew we knew what fixed gear is, we had fun. It, it suited us. We had, um, we got training plans to get better. We, we could all ride, uh, fixed gear bikes and we, we, we had a good technique and we, yeah, we, we performed quite well. None of us was ever at the very top. I would say we were like doing it because we loved like everything about the red hook and everything about this fixed gear riding. And um, yeah, I think it just happened that we did it. And for me, and I think for Sami, as as you mentioned, I, I recorded a, a podcast with Sami as well. And we talked about this too. And we just fell in love with touring and endurance riding when we tried it. So we we found that it's really a lot of fun. And I think that's basically kind of also a coincidence that if you never try something, how how do you know that you do you like it? And we tried it, or we all of us tried it and we loved it. And then we stayed with it kind of. Um I don't think anyone would say that we would never ever race fixed gear again. I, I think if if Red Hook makes a race, I don't think any of us can resist taking part. <laughs> we would try to be as fit as possible just to be there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so and for me, and because I don't want to talk for for other people, for me, it's it's um, it gives me much more. I I wanted to spend less time traveling to races and more time on the bike because in fixed gear racing it's really hard you you travel there then you race for 40 minutes and yeah plus qualifying and everything and it's really yeah it's really um full on and we are all, all like none of us is really doing this as a profession and like for me cycling needs to also to be to be kind of good for my my soul and for stress relief and <laughs> and uh, f maybe for an escape uh, from from work and yeah i think even though somehow it's also mixing with my work too um the long distances are are kind of nicer to 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 my uh or oh, it's better for my well-being <laughs> I'd say, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the scene is, is not so different from the fixed gear scene. It's also very nice. Like the ultra endurance scene is very open. You can 
look however you want you can be yeah however you want it's very a tolerant scene and yeah everyone is welcome and accepted so i think there are some similarities between these two scenes maybe because it's also people going from fixed gear to ultra <laughs> <laughs> and druid cycling. This can be, but I think that everybody here shares another thing that actually you mentioned before. There are no differences at all. So also because most of these races are when you win, you don't win you don't win anything about money or stuff, but it's just something like to be there. And also on the other side, I think that at the top levels, because okay, most of the people are riding and racing these ultra endurance races and stuff just to be in the mid pack and enjoy the experience and stuff. So for sure, there there is no difference. But also in the front group, there are not so many differences between performance in women and men. And uh, that's the thing, you know, watching the the landscape and watching the watching the. Uh, the people that are riding that all with the same eye without differences this is the thing that makes really the two different uh yeah scenes really really similar and that's great yeah i think competing in a fixed gear race you have to be as brave as you have to be entering a transcontinental race okay tell me more about that well i think I mean, riding a race without brakes and in a huge bunch, and it takes some 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 braveness to do it. So, um, and I think entering a transcontinental race or a Sikor mountain race or Atlas mountain race also takes some some something to to enter. Some yeah, you not anyone would do it, and I, like it's. There's the similarity that if you if you enter a fixed gear race and I mean you race until you in a fixed gear race sometimes yeah you you get overlapped and then you have to leave but still people know that this is a great effort and um, you know you've done it no matter how what what position you had in the end and it's the same with with the ultra endurance race if you've done it if you've entered even if you only got to checkpoint three, I don't know. So it's, it's still great effort and people respect you for it. And you can, well, I mean, I don't really care what other people think anyway, but you, you, you kind of have this, this common, yeah, you the, this common respect towards each other. And the respect is the same to, to Mark Hayden or James Hayden, um, to Leigh Wilcox, um, to my friend uh, from road bike party, Magnus, um, even though he didn't finish it. It's just, you know, we were all in there. I mean, you were at the Atlas Mountain Race. You must know it even better than I. So the people who try, who enter, who make the experiences all get a lot of respect. Yeah, it's true. You know which one is the super cool thing you mentioned about no matter in what position you arrive and stuff. This is my personal feeling, by the way. That's my personal thought. I truly believe that the best thing that you can do when you're taking part to this race is arrive last. Something like be the Lantern Rouge. Yeah. Because you will crash directly into the party with everybody clapping and cheering at you 
just waiting there for you with a beer in your with a beer in their hands in order to cheer with you and give you the beer to take part. I remember in the two races that I took part in the media crew, uh, both in the Silk Road Monterey's and the Atlas Monterey's, the biggest party, the biggest something like enjoyment and support was the one given to the last one arrived. And it was really great. No matter, you know, no matter when, no matter how, just you arrive there and everybody's clapping at you. It's great. Exactly. And you never know. I mean, it's easy to win this race if you're only, you know, four days on a bike. But imagine being spending double as much time on the bike and having much more trouble than maybe the winner it's even it's it's even a bigger bigger achievement kind of yeah yeah so yeah, so there's true. so many things that can happen and and this is what i what i also like about about it i mean no one really compares of course you know in the end i got 10th or i don't know second pair or you know but um only you know how how many demons you had to fight during this race. Absolutely, yeah, and that's exactly the thing that I try to discover. One all the times that I try to talk with people. Sometimes you get somebody who has a big smile one day, and the day after is in a full world of pain and the day after they're waiting for you because they want to speak with you the day after they're giving you food because they see that you are more tired than them is all the time is the same person but still going into a lot of up and downs and stuff wow yeah yeah it's really yeah i really admire everyone who who, who does these races or challenges or whatever really yeah yeah uh, tell us more about your transition then. At a certain point, you decided to move into the ultra endurance and then you took part to the transcontinental race. Let me remember, it was the number six, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly, number six. Tell us more and how was the process? Okay, so um, I was spending Christmas uh, on Mallorca. Um, we had, uh, I, I mean, I have two children and sometimes they are at their, their dad's place and then I get to go away and on a cycling holiday or something like this. So we spent Christmas on Mallorca and yeah, I was kind of, um, in a mood. I didn't really know what to do in the following year and, um, I was kind of, a little bit um, done, not done with the red hook, but uh, it didn't really catch me that much anymore. So, I mean, I'd done three years of racing red hook and I think it's quite normal to to find something new. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a challenge, but something that interests you. And someone had sent me videos of James Hayden um, videos of him talking about how he approached the transcontinental race. And my friend uh, sent this email to me and this video and said, oh, he's like you. And I was like, oh, who's like me? No one is like me. Who is he? And then I looked at this video and he was like this really nerdy um, person. I mean, you know him. And <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. like talking about all the, the, the smallest aspects of the race, like really going deep into 
to this uh, preparation for, for transcoordinator. And the funny thing is that I'm exactly the same. I, if I do something, I also look at every detail. I want to, sometimes it's too much. Sometimes no, I lose myself in details, but I learned. So, but I'm really like him. And so what happened is that I started to watch all these videos and um, through these videos, I also watched um, transcontinental videos of Mike Hall. And there was this guy who told me about his race and why he started the transcontinental race and why he thought this was the most most uh, approachable race for for everyone because it's in Europe and anyone can take place. Basically, it's unsupported, so you don't need this large amount of money that you used to need in other ultra endurance cycling races where you have support crews. And he was like, I was like, he he totally he he caught me. I I was hooked. So I was like, yeah, this is the race. I have to do this race because he's right in everything he's telling me about this race. It's it's about fairness. It's about um, supporting each other or, you know, unsupported, but kind of also being together in this race. And yeah, I said, okay, I want to do this race. And uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't even know how long it was. <laughs> I knew it was far, but I didn't. I, I knew it was four thousand kilometers. But um, at, at, when I when when I entered, or when Marion and I entered, uh, we yeah we of course when we when we did the final final application, we knew. But before that, we didn't even know that we had to ride like two hundred sixty k per day to arrive for the party. So, yeah, I only found about, like, I researched everything afterwards. And then Marion had already said she, she'd do it with me. And actually, I was very insecure then. I wanted to pull out again. I don't know if I ever mm. told her, but I was like, this is too much. We had never done yeah. this before. We are fixed gear riders. We can ride around in circles uh, for 40 minutes and not more. So, but she was, Marion is like, She's like, oh, I told everyone now we have to do it. And so <laughs> so I couldn't. So there was no way I could get out of this again. It was my idea, but I could, like, I couldn't, you know, pull out because she had already made her plans and she had told her friends. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And then we had seven months to prepare and uh, did everything to be very well prepared for this race. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a couple of things. First, so you were riding in a pair, so for sure you had different tasks. Actually, I know already the answer because I read everything already on with your on your interview that I read on the Far Ride magazine number 10, I think. But I know that usually in a pair you split the tasks. So who was the planner? Who was the freestyler in the pair? Yeah, kind of. The funny thing is that we both were both, but we had that we did split tasks, but um, not really very, like you said, very stereotypy planner freestyler. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say we the the 
the, our key to success was that we knew, knew each other very well and we'd done test writings and we had really tested how how we worked together and what we could do. But we had split some tasks, for example, um, when we went, like I was always responsible for doing the groceries. So running into the supermarket and getting all the food, that was always my part while Marion was um, checking up on the map and calculating how far we would still go and um, booking the, the hotel for tonight for the night because you I mean you you were only allowed to book the hotel on the same day and we usually stopped around midday to check up how far we still wanted to go so so that was her part and um, yeah other than that we are both uh, into numbers and uh, we we were yeah, we both uh, knew that we we how far we still had to go and how far we needed to go to to get there in time and yeah i i was maybe before the race i was more the planner and yeah maybe then you're right I, like before the race i was the one who who got like who made sure we we got the right uh, gears for the, our bikes and I did all the research. I spent a lot of time talking to people who had already done the Transcontinental and Marion was more like, ah, oh, give me a bike, I'll ride it. So, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. She, she does it. So, and it's good because, as I said before, I'm, I can get lost in the details and I can, I can, f yeah, think about the perfect gear for years and still not decide <laughs> so um yeah but um so so i i always had a few options and then we decided together how we would do it for the race and yeah so maybe in perfect. a way in a way i'm a bit more the planner and yeah perfect and um, what about the preparation uh, I'm pretty interested on that because you're also a trainer. So for sure, you got a plan before to start that you were saying on how to switch from the fast racing mode of the crits to the endurance ride mode of the transcontinental race. How did you prepare in a pair for that? Yeah, so um, everyone who knows a little bit about training knows that it's not it's not so hard to go from short to long rides. It's harder to do the other way around. So we had the easy way. We implemented um, longer rides during the winter already. Of course, it's also part of winter training to do longer rides, but um, yeah, in, in fixed gear racing, you just, once the season started, you don't do them anymore. So, so we did, we, um, I have to say, I worked together with my coach who trained me at that time. Um, he is uh, Maximilian Höflich, uh, riding for the Red Pack right now. And what we did is that the, the interesting part of this training plan was that I kind of decided on 50% of the training. And he kind of um, made sure that I did my intervals and um, that um, we had the periodization, 
you know, the, the so we three weeks training, one week off, and we um, I gave him a schedule of my test ridings before. So we did like back to back bikepacking rides to test all the equipment and to test how far we could actually go. And yeah, he just, I think in the end, he made sure I didn't train too much. And the funny thing, and maybe interesting for everyone who's thinking about doing this race, we didn't actually train so much. So, I mean, I have two kids. Marion is at uh, teaching at university. So we both have quite busy lives. And um, training is only part of the preparation for the transcontinental. A lot of time also goes to planning the route, um, planning the equipment, um, building the bike and everything. So training is part of it. And I'd say we trained between 10 to 16 hours a week, which is nothing if you talk to other people. And I don't believe that you need to, to ride long rides and thousands of kilometers to be prepared for this race. I think it's good. To, to have a good um, FTP so you can you're not too slow and um, but that it's much more important to to like you lose a lot of time during the race when you don't move so you want to be moving all the time it's yeah. more important to move all the time than to move maybe 2k faster and it's more important to practice to sit in the saddle maybe for for 16 days uh, for 16 hours a day in <laughs> 16 days long of course but then to to ride uh, i don't know 4 hours fast so yeah depending on the race just look at what you have to do of course in preparation for a transcontinental race we did a 4 day trip from hamburg to to prague and via the checkpoint three, um, the Polish um, uh, check on the Polish Czech border, it's called Riesengebirge. I forgot the name right now of the pass, but um, yeah, it was checkpoint three, and we visited it, and that was like six hundred kilometers in, or seven hundred kilometers in, uh, I think three and a half days. So we had okay. we had like. Um, kind of uh, a trial for TCR and that's what we did and then it's testing all your equipment and yeah making sure you know how to ride together we found out that I'm much better in the mountains and Marion is faster on the flat so on the flat it's mostly her riding in front on when it's up and down it's it's probably me um, but yeah we found we, it's, it's important to know because um, Marion is so strong on the flat that even in the wind shadow, it was sometimes too fast for me. And if I go over my, my uh, zone, then it destroys me. And then again, it doesn't help the team if, if I destroy myself. So it's a lot about, you know, getting, deciding on the right pace. And yeah, I, I often hear from pairs that um, one of them can't, is destroyed, and the other one rides off by, by himself. And I always ask, yeah, why, why did this happen? So, you know, that why, it's often really the case that 
the person who's uh, still riding, I'd say, destroyed the other one. It's, you have to really take care of each other in a team. It's <laughs> really important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. It doesn't make a lot of sense if somebody goes over his or her kind of possibilities and then cannot do it anymore. You're not going to finish as a pair. You need to have a good sync. Otherwise, it's really difficult. Uh, from time to time, I heard about that so from a lot of riders and stuff. It's way more difficult to ride as a pair than to ride as a solo because a solo you have just to understand yourself how much you can pull how much you can push how much you have to sleep or not how much you can deprive yourself of sleep or stuff in a team in a pair you need to take care about the both of you exactly and if you don't you won't finish the race it's exactly. the most important thing is to find a compromise i can give you an example and yeah. um uh sleep hours so we we had kind of different um well there was two things as i mentioned before the speed on the flat mario was much faster or not much but tiny bit too fast for me and on the other hand mario wanted to sleep for for nine hours per night and that's a lot and um it's not possible nine hours is not possible but um we met in the middle so my my wish i wished for five hours which you know is quite usual <laughs> in ultra endurance uh, races four or five hours is okay most people are fine with that the faster ones only take three or four hours per night even less if we even, less. Sofian, even three hours yeah but this is a days. shorter race too yeah, it's, it's, true. it's true. because he, he kind of only slept for four hours i think in total yeah. in the end yeah yeah, yeah. yeah hours, but yeah. You, he wouldn't have been able to do that during the transcontinental race so so i think that's a difference and if you have a race like the transcontinental um basically well fiona at least she slept like three to four hours uh, and yeah, but what I was going to say is that um, then seven hours was where we met. And seven hours for me is still a lot. And But for Marion, it was the the lowest she would, she would go. And this is something you, you have to accept. This, you, don't, you don't need to discuss it. If this is the case, and then you have to, this is what you agree on and yeah and this is just a very obvious obvious uh thing and as you said like um, deciding on a break deciding on when do i have to go to the toilet so it's always yeah you're always communicating and yeah you really have to make make sure that uh that both stay well <laughs> yeah of course um, do you have any kind of great memory or something that really stay would stay with you with a really great idea of it? I don't know, something like uh, in a good or in a bad way, actually, something that will stick with you to forever. For example, a pass or, I don't know, a day with a lot of headwind or that cake that saved your life. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think I've been telling this before, but um, it's really checkpoint four, Bielasnika, or Biel <laughs> um in Sarajevo. 
was very special. First, we rode through Sarajevo, and yeah, I've. It's it's really weird to ride through countries where you know your classmates came from who had to flee from the war. So that did something to me to actually be there. And of course, if you ride through these countries, you still see the holds from the shootings and everything. So that was special. And I'd say this really moved me. And um, it's it stays with me until now. And and the other thing is that um, everyone who kind of uh, followed the transcontinental number six uh, knows that we were all had to go up this gravel pass. And it was basically four hours walking, well, three hours walking up and one hour going down again because you couldn't really ride it. Well, some people did, but... Yeah, I, I wrote parts of it, but it was really, really hard. So it wasn't, it was just rough, stony, rocky gravel. <laughs> and yeah, we'd stayed the night before on that pass um, in the hotel, in the checkpoint hotel. So we had already gotten our stamp and everything, and we'd left the pass for the morning. So we got up very early at four to go up there and uh, enjoy the the sun uh, rise uh, up up on the pass and yeah we walked out of our hotel and we kind of uh, rode through the the beginning of this uh, gravel climb and suddenly a dog appeared and this dog was really nice he was just following us all the way up and then all the way down again and I would I mean it's like the worst, you know, we've both feared this gravel pass and we read all the messages about from the people that had to do it already and, and really had trouble. And yeah, but uh, we had this dog and, and he just, uh, yeah, gave us company all the way. <laughs> that was very that special. Great. And then yeah. in this moment, you think like, who sent us this dog? Uh, was my call? here and send you the dog <laughs> i don't know yeah, <laughs> very yeah, special yeah. yeah great uh so we were mentioning that you were uh the first pair we uh, women pair that finish the transcontinental race into the limit you were i think third position is if i remember yeah third or fourth yeah position, we were right? yeah uh, this was already a big achievement because before uh, there was probably Emily Chappell doing great results on the transcontinental race, but the great, really great thing that happened happened in 2019 when uh, Fiona won last year uh, transcontinental race. And I know that you interviewed her. Yeah. What do you think that happened and how actually did you feel that this could happen and how did you feel Fiona as a character something like how the spirit and everything that took her to get to the finish line as leader? Well, I mean Fiona is extraordinary, you have to say. She's like a, an athlete that is far above average. So um not many people have have these uh, 
can do this in this time, in this short of time. You have to be mentally very strong and you have to be physically strong. And I mean, I'm not, I don't know how she did it, but I know she's super strong. Björn told me about her before the race and he said like there's a super strong woman and um, I think she can do great at the transcontinental race. And she was riding um, in, she was riding a 600 kilometer uh, breves before a, a crazy speed. So she, she was really fit and she's also very smart. Um, and she did like perfect preparation for this race. She, she knew everything what she had to know. And of course, I mean, um, Björn was there also for her. She could ask him everything. I think that also makes a difference. Um, while others maybe have to try and learn for themselves in the first race and then win in the second race. Like most of, of the, them, I mean, James Hayden did that, Björn as well. I mean, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, of course, it's great to have someone um, who, who tells you about things and, and Bjorn did that. Um, but I mean, she won the race, of course, by herself. And yeah, how, how did she do it? She's fast and she has a very strong, strong, um, mind. So mentally, she's very strong and she's very smart. I think that's a combination that works. And as we all know, And I'm not saying this for for uh, someone who wins, but also someone who just like us just finishes. There's always a bit of luck, always. So if you ask any of the winners, they say, okay, yeah, you can't just go and say, I, I want to win the transcontinental race. You can, but you know, once you've won it, that also there was some, some, something went out well <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. yeah for everyone for us as well i mean for marian and me as well but yeah that's great and actually the thing that i want to uh, add here that would like to hear your thoughts on that i'm really 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 happy that all these kind of things happen so i mean uh, you taking part and really breaking the wall of getting into the uh, at the finish line before the time limit and Fiona winning the race, the general race last year, as Lael breaking all the records that she broke, and Sarah Hammond doing the same thing, and blah, blah. I'm really happy of this kind of thing happens because really the thing that I would like to see, and everybody here probably would like to see, is seeing the participation, uh, women's participation in this kind of race, all the time bigger. Because having uh, maybe at a certain point a half, a, a I wouldn't want to call it peloton, but their start list split half and half is is gonna be a really a really great thing. Instead of thinking that sports uh, sports are only for men and that everything that should be taken care of, anything else should be is difficult to be done from women because of social things, because of physical things or whatever. We all know that these are barriers that are not physical; they are not objective, but are just casual thing and seeing. Fiona winning, you and Marion participating, and somebody else breaking uh, records there 
cycling and in wherever sports, it's really a step forward for the social balance and the equality between genders. Yeah, I totally agree. Like the more great women um, show show it's possible, no matter what, if they break records or if they just participate, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Funny thing is that I've been thinking about this also, um, and I'm like, I'm a big uh, advertiser of uh, making women more visible um, because, like, they can, you know, all the great results are great, but if no one knows about them, you know, that they're, they're just, yeah how can can other women be inspired and especially in these long distance races it's sometimes really a, a hurdle to take um and some some yeah are also afraid and the funny thing is that with marian and me us two fixed gear races uh we are not we were not from the ultra endurance scene and we could still do it and this is also something i think if uh women see that we can do it they might think ah yeah if they can do it we can do too <laughs> so i think it's really important that said um that when when i look back both to my first uh fixed gear races and to my first ultra endurance race the transcontinental race i had a lot of support of men And I just want to mention here because I'm also someone who's always um, trying to to shout to give to give shout outs to women, but I must say um, it was men who like most of the I would say eighty ninety percent were men that gave me advice and helped me along and I think that's also very important to to. If I mean to all the men, if you, um, yeah, support also the women around you because yeah, it's not not so many women <laughs> often. No, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know what I mean. It's it's uh, yeah. If you're coming into a scene where there's only men, uh, don't wait for a woman to support you. It's yeah. It, if there's 90% men anyway, men can support women as well. And they do a lot. They do already. You do. I mean, you're writing me to this podcast. I mean, so. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I truly believe on the other side, actually on the main side, that gender equality in wherever field, really, uh, working-wise and uh, everything, really, sport-wise and stuff, is something that we have to do together. We cannot yeah. give only something like, uh, okay, this is a task of women. We don't take care of it. No, because everything comes together. Equality is equality for everybody. So I truly believe that, I don't know, uh, sometimes can feel, I don't know, can feel strange that, uh, okay, you say, okay, I got support also from men. Yeah, because it's the same thing, right? We are all human beings. Everybody should support each other in order to accomplish great things and great tasks. And uh, hopefully with these kind of things, everybody will be a bit more aware. Uh, with these little things, yeah. uh, everybody will be super more aware of that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. There's one thing that um, we don't have to discuss this in, in depth here, but for certain races like the Atlas Mountain Race, for example, 
there is a higher risk for women. And I know that they are talking about this. Nelson is uh, on this topic as well. But uh, we should not forget that some of the races are a little bit more difficult for women to ride than for men. And I, this is something that not maybe the transcontinental race, but a uh, race in Morocco definitely has to think about this. At the end, it's, it was something that we were saying before. It's a cultural thing. So it depends on how much sensible uh, some countries and uh, some levels are uh, on this topic and something else. But just by moving all of us together and give support for women that can be a bit more in trouble to do this kind of race. And by something like showing out, not in a negative way, but in a positive way, the want to do things more than I'm afraid of. Is the only way actually that we can move in the direction of okay, let's make it a bit more feasible for everybody to do all these kind of races. Otherwise, it's it's a loose loose situation for all of us, and that's bad. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, then let's move to the last chapter of our chitty chatting here, and uh, we touch base this one in the podcasting part. Uh, still in your talk that you had with Fiona. And uh, the thing that I want to ask you is that, okay, you know, everybody knows now that you are a super strong rider and uh, yeah, in different side of the cycling world, but also you are a podcaster, fellow podcaster, as I called you at the beginning. Tell us more about your journey on producing and now open your ears because I'm going to misspell completely the name of your podcast because my accent in German is really horrible the wunsame fahrradwelt <laughs> yeah the wundersame fahrradwelt thanks a lot thanks yeah, a lot i've been welcome. living in german speaking countries since long time but still my german it sucks completely yeah. you know it means uh, the wondrous uh, cycling world and wondrous i don't know if I think the word wundersam can't be directly translated. The closest to wundersam is wondrous. It's a bit, it's a bit weird, you know, the, the funny, weird, exciting cycling world kind of. Okay. So, okay. yeah, there's a, the, a podcast about uh, rap here and uh, in Germany and it's called uh, the wundersame or die wundersame rap woche and kind of liked it and and stole the word wundersam from them and okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and the the podcast is about uh, gravel ultra cycling fixed gear and actually uh, road cycling as well and yeah my last guest was sami and we talked about like old fixed gear uh, stories and her work her new work um, for Kamut and uh, as a producer. And that episode was my first English episode. Usually it's in German. Um, mm -hmm. I'm so happy that you started producing something in English. I truly believe I that we need this kind of yeah. content for everybody, for people like me that don't speak German. Let's put it in this way. I don't want I to talk know. about everybody. And everyone is saying this. I get so many messages right now that I have to do more English episodes and I promise I will. Um, 
at the same time, there are quite a few Germans who don't speak English that well. So I'm, I will, I'm, I'm looking at a mix. So the podcast will stay in German, but I want to do bonus episodes in English and yeah, maybe one or the other episode in English too. But I can't, you know, I'm, well, the original concept of the podcast was that I was traveling through Germany to meet my interview partner. So I went all the way to Dresden to meet Fiona. I spent six hours in the train to be in Dresden for three hours. And then I went back. And um, I did this because um, it felt so great to meet the interview partner to drink coffee and to be there. Fiona invited me to her to her apartment and it's it's really great. And yeah, and of course I felt much more at home in my own language. So you maybe can relate to this because English is not your first first language either. And I felt that I really want to do these in these really deep interviews. So, and I felt I could only do it in Germany, but it's, uh, well, I mean, now Corona came <laughs> and, uh, and I had to start recording digitally anyway. So I thought, okay, might as well talk to uh, women, men, uh, interesting people around the world that um, don't speak German. And I, planned this interview with Sami since I think first we talked in January about it. So it's been on my list for a while. And yeah, so now I did it and it turned out well. I realized if I if I ask good questions, I don't have to talk so much myself. <laughs> so it's uh, not so so difficult. But yeah, it seems like people understand me and uh it yeah it's enjoyable this is i do this podcast to really to to talk about important things but also to to um share insights into certain topics i mean i talked about training i talked about women in cycling i talked about um ultra cycling and i i really like same as you, I think, to, to share these, well, this information that I get from people. And um, yeah, but yeah, I also think it's entertainment too. So I don't like, I want, want the, 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 every episode to be entertaining too. And yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's something that we are sharing, something like uh, the, the two things I want to say, and then we're going to go a bit deeper on that. The first thing I want to tell you is that I completely, I think that we share the same thing. So something like we are talking with other people to, of course, um, spread a bit more insights and stuff with people that are listening to us. But also on the other side, talk about important topics, because I don't know, talking about myself, I like to talk. And only if I talk with people, 
I actually can develop myself, my angle on things, because there are some angles that are just, that some corners that are, that are blind. If somebody doesn't talk with you about a topic, you will never have an idea of it and make your research and get an angle on that. And that's amazing. But also on the other side, the thing that I really like is inspiring. So, for example, with my talk with you today, I really hope that at a certain point, uh, women or men or whoever will think about and will say, okay, so Johanna, uh, as a podcast, as kids, as a job, and still she raised fixed gear and she didn't have any fear on jumping into the transcontinental race. I can do it as well. Or talks with uh, other people that are, for example, I don't know, producing videos on the transcontinental race. Antonin, I talked with him some uh, some weeks ago. People that just have an idea in mind, they like bicycles and stuff, and then at a certain point, they want to jump on a car and tell their own story about the transcontinental race. Why cannot do it myself as well and learn some new things? These are the main things that actually brings me to make a podcast. And I truly believe that that's something that we share. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the second thing that I want to tell you is that I'm asking you and telling you, ah, okay, I would love to listen to uh, podcasts as well in English about the same topic. First of all, because not being competitive, I don't care about competitiveness and competition in this kind of thing. But actually, I truly believe that is like if we are really sharing the how cool is the community of cyclists, how cool is the community in general of ultra cycling or fixed gear, whatever, but the cyclist is itself and how welcoming it is, then the more podcasts are around talking about this topic, the more people are going to embrace this philosophy and the better the community and the bigger and the better the community of cycling in particular, but of the world in general will be. The more we're going to talk about that, the more people will understand how cool it is to be welcoming and easygoing on things. So in a way, also inspiring other scenes or, or kind of... Uh... Yeah, telling people how, how a scene can function nicely. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, kind of. Cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The cool thing is that, for example, going through your episode portfolio, I can see that I know at least half of the people you interview. Yeah, yeah. And that's super cool because it's really kind of, you know, opening up the world of people. Ah, I talk, for example, here I have... Uh, there is, there is, there is, I don't remember his surname, ah, Jung, Rafael Jung. It yeah. was my, uh, how do you call it, bike fitter in Berlin. We talked a lot of time and blah, blah, blah. He's a great guy and he's in your podcast. Uh, on the other side, let me check, there is Banked, friend of mine, great friend of mine, taking part in all these kind of races and still being big part of the cycling community in Berlin and is there. How cool, actually, to become even something like to spread even more this community by listening to these inspiring people that are so easygoing to talk with. They are so keen on sharing their experience and on the other side, so easy to approach. That's the best, right? Yeah, that's true. And it helps to or, or like that I know most of them personally <laughs> yeah of course, of course of course so you know almost all of them and i did know almost all of them i think there's one or two that i didn't know personally before yeah yeah, yeah mind yeah. you one day i've talked to all my friends so i have to <laughs> find find new inspiring people but that's also it's uh like i do like 
I like to step out of my square, kind of. So I, I make sure to talk to people that I don't know, or that I sometimes people send me messages and say, oh, this person is nice and interesting. And I write, like really like to follow up on those messages and uh, have a look and invite them. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, last question, Joanna, also because we have been talking for one hour and a half and I want to keep you on front True. of your computer for so much time, even if it was flying, really. <laughs> it was a great yeah, conversation. Yeah. Um, next plans. I know that it's weird to ask you this question, in the period that we are living at the moment. Uh, but yeah, tell me a bit more about your next plans, your ideas for the future in terms of writing, in terms of podcasting, in terms of whatever comes into your mind. Yeah, um, sure. In terms of writing, I had planned a lot of like individual bike trips this year and um, some racing with well, not really racing, some adventures like the Hanse Gravel, the Holy Gravel, or some more bikepacking events in the south of Germany. Funnily, I had only planned one race abroad or one adventure, and that was the Tuscany Trail. And But I hadn't booked any tickets, nothing. So I'm fine. So basically, I'm just um, looking at this year as a year off kind of for riding doing my own riding around Hamburg I hope I can go on a bike packing tour maybe later on in the year and everything that I had planned for this year will just be moved to next year and I hope it's possible to do it next year and I'm not sure sometimes something there is this spark in me that thinks I should do a big race next year and um, yeah possibly I'm not sure if it would be the transcontinental or a shorter one I don't know but we were talking about doing um, ultra racing in a team and I must say I'm a really I'm a team person so I like like doing things in a team so I'm, I'm just uh, this is how I work but at the same time I'm really curious to find out how a longer ultra race is by myself. And I would like to make this experience to just to know how, how this feels. And yeah, so there are some, like the Transcontinental or Transpyrenees is something I've been curious about or um, yeah, some smaller ones, three peak ra peaks races. I mean, the, the, I want to call them small, but compared to the transcontinental, they're at least shorter. <laughs> so I'd probably yeah, yeah. call them shorter races. Uh, yeah, to just it's to see how 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 this would be if I like it or not. And yeah, this, so this is the the athlete side of me. Um, podcast wise, I'm um, as you know, I've only done one episode so far per month so this is the first month where I had two bonus episodes and yeah I want to do more episodes not just one a month and I, I have a partner I think you work without a partner but I have partners for the podcast episodes and yeah so basically concentrate more on the podcast um, 
And yeah, as you know, I also would love to follow uh, an event by with my podcast, what you do, like follow a race or follow something. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, well, there are no events now, no races. Maybe you can take me with you. <laughs> the next race yeah. i can i can be your uh your learner how, how do you say <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I hold the microphone for you so you have your little <laughs> assistant <laughs> i can learn <laughs> yeah that's something that i wanted to do but by myself nothing official uh you were mentioning before the tuscany trail something that i want to do as well is something like taking part to it and making out a live podcast out of it, not talking with other people, but talking just with the people that I have around me, something like first person with talking with other people just randomly without having, I don't know, anything to follow and any kind of uh, plan to follow. And this would be, could be something, for example, that at a certain point we can do together. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. Hopefully next year it's going to happen and then we can plan for it. So this yeah. Would be, Let's for do example, it. my next step, because now uh, most of the time, the thing that I most experience with I'm is sitting here in front of my computer and talking with people from time to time. I go also in some live uh, situations so going to people and recording directly to them. Sometimes I go to do some uh, um, live event talks for my podcast, like I've done, for example, for uh, the world championship of uh, cyclocross happened here to Switzerland. And sometimes I was also super, super lucky to be in the Silk Road Monte Race and the Atlas Monte Race. Next step is telling the story, not with the voice of other people, but with my own voice. So let's see. Sounds very exciting. And I really like those. I listened to your last podcast about the Silk Road, no, the Atlas Mountain Race, sorry. And I really liked that. And yeah that it was really nice to get this update, I think every day and to to hear the voices uh, of the races and your your voice as well, yeah. Thanks a lot for that. Yeah, that's the thing that I aim to do the most of the time, something like telling the race with the voice of people that are taking part for that. There are, I know there are other publications that they prefer to tell the story a bit more about how the things develop, how, um, I don't know, what people are doing in the mid-pack or in front-pack or whatever. For me, it's really telling the experience of people with their own voice. Because at the end of the day, the most interesting thing is coming from the protagonist, not from me. I'm sitting on the car all the time, <laughs> to be sincere, so... That's true. Yeah. But as you said, I mean, there's different ways of doing it and everyone will find their own like listeners. And um, when I started this podcast, I said, okay, if 10 people like it, I'm happy because I'm happy doing it. 10 people are happy. Fine. So now I have uh, more <laughs> than 10, <laughs> 10 listeners. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, yeah, it's... Um, it's, I think like that's also why I don't believe in competition here because like some people like this format of podcast, some like the others, and everyone finds their preferred podcast or and then it's yeah, you just listen to what you like. <laughs> The more so it's uh, once a friend of mine told me is the coffee shop rule. The more cafes you have outside, the more people will appreciate coffee and the more coffee they're going to be keen to discover. 
Ah, it's that such. Okay, yeah. That's the point, you know? It's exactly the same thing. The more podcasts about cycling there will be, the more people are going to be interested in cycling podcasts, the more cycling podcasts they're going to listen. Yeah. And hopefully they're going to also then... jump on a bike and ride. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <thing>. Yeah. <laughs> because we are doing but... it for this. At least I'm doing it for this, to inspire people to ride the bike, not only to listen to my voice. Well, I don't know how many messages you get, but I... Like every second message I get is, oh, I listened to your new episode on the Turbo Trainer yesterday. <laughs> so, okay. uh, yeah, this, also, this is happening in this period a lot as me. Yeah, as well for yeah. Me. I don't recommend listening to podcasts while riding outside. So, uh, mm -hmm. but inside is, is perfect. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks so much for this uh, nice talk <laughs> it was really 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 amazing and as i was telling you let me check on my computer uh it's one hour and a half of recording i think i'm gonna keep all of it mostly all of it apart from some things that i said that probably i can cut because i was talking too much but it was really really enjoyable a lot so thanks a lot joanna yeah i did enjoy it too it's it, it i have the same problem i always cut myself out in the end <laughs> when i yeah, interview yeah, yeah, people yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I don't think you have to. It was interesting, <laughs> at least for me. <laughs> at least I will have one listener of that, so it's great. <laughs> yeah, see. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Johanna, and enjoy your day. Thanks a lot. Thank you, you too. Bye. Well, if you listen till there, it means that you liked it. And I'm really happy that you liked it. So go to any kind of platform for your podcast and be sure that you're gonna subscribe share review whatever you want and put this episode out there thanks a lot for doing it and thanks a lot for following me all these times um remember that if you want to subscribe to my newsletter there is a link down below and remember that down below you will also find the link to the open cycles website it's really worth it to go there and to read what andy says in his blog section and also to subscribe to the open newsletter that said nothing else i really really hope for you the best of the weeks shredding outside on gravel or on the road or on your trainer and enjoy and talk to you next week <laughs>